the scriptures with us this morning will be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We tried by the help and the direction of the Lord to preach Wednesday night out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 on the unspeakable gift of God. And the Lord just brought our heart back to this scripture, this book again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, it's been one of those uh, weeks since Wednesday night. It's kind of empty and didn't really know, uh, really, to be honest with you, until this morning what the Lord uh, wanted for the service. He began to deal with my heart from this scripture, and we'll try our best by His help uh, to uh, be a help to you. And that's my heart's desire this morning. But I realize uh, that apart from Him, we can do nothing. None of us can. I need His help this morning. And I trust that you'll pray for us, that the Lord will help us in this service and we can leave better than we come. Second Corinthians chapter 12, if you have found your place and you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together. <clears throat> and of course by standing we're just showing reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, I, I really just want to deal with one verse this morning, but I wanna, I'm going to read the entire chapter just for context sake. I feel... Uh, led to do so. Second Corinthians chapter 12, begin reading in verse number 1. Paul here, of course, writing uh, to the church at Corinth, and he says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one called up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glory, you have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. 
Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But, it, but be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Again, thank ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear, lest when I shall come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Paul here, writing to the church again at Corinth, we know, as we said on Wednesday night, this is the second letter that Paul has written to them. Paul spends more time at least what we know, dealing with the Corinthian church than any other church that Paul wrote to. And here in this scripture that we're reading, I thought about as we've looked in the Sunday school hour and other times in, in preaching over the past few months, Paul is still, even though he has spent all of the letter of 1 Corinthians, some 16 chapters and now, He's to chapter 12 of the second letter that he has written to them. And Paul is still dealing with the same issues that he has dealt with in the Corinthian church from the beginning. What started off in Paul's first letter in chapter number 1 is the fact that there was division among the people that were in the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there was a division among the apostles or those that had preached to the people and that, that caused division among the church. The apostles did not cause the division, but the people caused the division based upon which apostle had preached in the time of their conversion. And so there became divisions that you can go back to 1 Corinthians which has been covered in the Sunday school hour, but there were those who said, I am a Paul. There were those that said, I am of Apollos. There were some that said, I am of Cephas or Peter and then there were others that said well I'm just of Christ and so there was division among the church based upon either the preacher that they were converted under or the preacher whose style that they liked the best 
uh, there is uh, information or there is the understanding that many of them uh, had caused division just based upon which preacher they like more than the other because Paul goes on uh, to talk about how that his preaching, uh, uh, though it was not with enticing words of man wisdom, though he had a contemptible speech and a bodily presence uh, that was weak and it is known uh, through the study of the scriptures that Apollos was a very eloquent man. Uh, he could uh, give a good talk and had a good speech. Uh, but Paul said at the end of it all, it's not about Paul and it's not about Peter and it's not about Apollos, uh, but it is about Christ. Paul said, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized uh, in the name of Paul? He said, it's not about us. It's not about the preacher or even the message, uh, but it's about the one that they are preaching about. And so there was division and Paul uh, dealt with them. There was a lot of carnality in the Corinthian church and, and that carnality bred division among them. And now here they are uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and this is not uh, the beginning of this. If we go back, Paul is speaking and talking about the same things uh, uh, in chapter 12 that he's dealt with in chapter 11 and chapter 10 and chapter 9 and really from the beginning uh, of 2 Corinthians the in the letter but there's division again among the people and now it's because there have been false apostles and false brethren who have come in among the church and they have caused the people to divide from Paul or to think less of Paul based upon their glory and when Paul would not glory because Paul said it's not about me it's about Christ and so there's division again Paul uses the word boldness. He said, I didn't come boldly. And the boldness that we read about in the Scriptures, the good boldness, the boldness that the Spirit of God produced in Peter at the day of Pentecost and the other apostles, that's not the boldness that Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about being bold in the flesh or forward in the flesh. And Paul said, they came, that is the false apostles, and they were very bold in their flesh and they desired things of you and they did what they did for their own profit and their own gain and they glorified themselves in your sight and he said you took to them and you have come away from me you have rejected me you have thought badly of me because I wouldn't go I wouldn't stoop to their level he said in reality it's not about us it's about Christ so that what that is what Paul's dealing with here and that's why Paul said, I speak as a fool when he begins to glory. He said, if any of them have anything to glory in, he said, I the more. He said, are they a Hebrew? So am I. He said, are they, uh, he said, I circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin. He said, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I was blameless. He, he said, I've learned all these languages. He said, I've had revelations. I've been, he speaks of himself in verse number two when he says, I knew a man uh, that was caught up in the third heaven. Uh, Paul speaks of himself, uh, but he said, the reality is, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And he has all these people, these false apostles that were coming in and they were, they were more interested in themselves than they were in the people. They were desirous of the people how to do something for them rather than them being able to give something of benefit to the people. And Paul is bothered by this because the people at Corinth 
are so easily swayed that they have run after these false apostles who have bragged and boasted about their own works and their own doings and they have said apparently have preached to them that Paul is not an apostle and so Paul said I'm just behind the very chiefest of the apostles and Paul begins to give his qualifications as an apostle to tell them that he is looking out for them he wants their benefit he makes a statement it's kind of sad I was reading it and I'm trying to get where I want to be where the Lord wants me to be this morning but I was reading this chapter and I came across verse number 11 he said I'm become a fool in glory and Paul said I'm having to waste my time really is what Paul's saying saying all these things he said you've compelled me to do this he said for I ought to have been commended of you In other words, Paul said when these false apostles said what they said about me, you should have stood up for me. You should have known what they were saying was not right. You should have known by experience what I preached to you and have lived in front of you. You should have known what they were saying was not right. But he said, now I'm having a a glory in myself and you've compelled me to do so. He said, I... He said, are you inferior? See, these false apostles came in and told them, told the Corinthian church that they were inferior to the other churches that Paul had preached to. Or that Paul was maybe making favorites to Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi or Thessalonica or one of the other churches and left them behind. Paul said, the only thing I did differently is I did not not make myself a burden unto you. He said, that's all. He said, for I seek you. So I'm not interested in what you have. I'm interested in you. And he said, the more I love you, yet the less you love me. That's some pretty big statements Paul's making. And Paul is speaking from a broken heart. He's saying, I've invested in you. He said, I'm not taken from you. He said, matter of fact, I've robbed other churches. And that is that he has lived on what other churches have given while he ministered to the Christians at Corinth. He said, I'm just interested in you. All these other false apostles have come and they're just interested in what you have. He said, I am interested in you. And he said, all these other apostles have come and said, what can you give me? He said, I'm more interested in what God will give me to give to you. And he makes this statement in verse number 14, where the Lord has dealt with my heart about for the service this morning. He said, for the parents, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. What Paul is saying is he is likening himself to a spiritual parent. And he's saying it does, it does, it's not logical in physical things for the parents to ask their children how to lay up or provide for them. But rather it's the responsibility of the parents to provide and lay up for the children. See those apostles, those false apostles that had come in, they were asking them, the church, to lay up for them rather than them through the power of God and the Spirit of God laying up for the church. And Paul said that doesn't make any more sense than for you parents to ask your children to provide and lay up things for you. He said that's not the way it works. He said the parents lay up for the children. And I began to think about, and the Lord 
began to deal with my heart and I preached from this scripture a long, long time ago and really hadn't thought much about it until the Lord began to deal with my heart this morning. I was real empty. As a matter of fact, I was about to the point that I was just going to come in this morning. I mean, I, but my heart was not worried. I, I, I didn't fear about it. I thought, well, maybe it's just going to be one of them days that we go in and maybe somebody else has got something from the Lord. But then God got to deal with my heart this morning about laying up for the children. I want to preach this morning and ask you what have we laid up for our children. Now, I got to reading the and the Lord got to deal my heart and showed me something in the scriptures Paul does not though he could have but he does not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he does not say that parents ought to lay up for their children but he says parents ought to lay up for the children Now Paul is not addressing just a single family, but Paul is addressing an entire church body and he said it's the responsibility of the elders in the church, of those who have had experience, of a layup for the younger in the church, of those who are unlearned and have not had experience, of those who have never been saved. It's the responsibility of the aged to train and lead and lay up for the younger. Many times, more than once, Paul is going to cover this. He's going to cover it in the book of Titus that the aged women teach the younger and the aged men teach the younger. There is a laying up that has to be done by the parents for the children. And so I'm wondering this morning, I'm interested this morning, what have we spiritually laid up for our children? When we think about laying up for our children, most people, us minds go to tangible things such as money or houses or land and all those things are fine and well. But that's not what Paul was interested in. The Corinthian church was interested in carnal things. That's where their mind went every time. But Paul said there's more to it than carnal things. There's more to it than silver and gold. There's more to it than houses and land. But he said there's some spiritual things things and that I as your spiritual parent am trying to lay up for you who are my children. And I wonder this morning what have we laid up for our children. And even more than that, and that should be enough. I'll say this morning that's enough to convict me. And it probably ought to be enough to convict you. But the Lord got to deal my heart this morning about what have we laid up for all the children that are coming up under us here in our little church. God has and I have said this so many times how God has blessed us. I know and and it doesn't bother me and I hope it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother me that we don't own the building. It doesn't bother me that we may not have a big crowd. God has blessed us and God's been good to us and we have a high ratio of young people in our church, young families with young children and it's a great, we ought to thank God for it and at the same time it ought to humble us and to know what a responsibility that God's given to us and we ought to search our hearts and try to look and see what we've laid up for the children around here. Oh yeah. And I'm not saying don't enjoy them. But I'm telling you how we enjoy them. It ought to do something in our heart 
and to know that they're watching us and that they're looking up to us. It almost me to know that some of these children are looking up to me as the preacher. And it's not just, it is my responsibility. It is my job. It is my calling to lay up some things. That's what Paul was saying to Corinthian church. But Paul was saying it's not just my job. It's your job as parents to lay up some spiritual things for the children. Now I wonder this morning, what do we have laid up? I looked up that word lay up, or that those two words lay up, and they are translated together. Paul said the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. The words lay up means to gather and store up. It means to accumulate treasure. And see, we think about physical things. And there's a lot of people today that spending all their time and all their energy and all their efforts in accumulating physical treasure and to leave their children when they're gone. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with leaving your children things. I think we ought to look ahead. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how much time, how much energy, how much effort do we put into accumulating a spiritual treasure to leave behind? But the definition went farther than that. And I just want you to hear me this morning. And I'll be done in just a little while. But the words lay up means to live so. You go home and look it up in the concordance. It says to live so from day to day. To either increase the happiness or the bitterness in life of those to come. To live so from day to day has to have a direct impact on the life of those who are coming up under you. And I wonder this morning how are we living? I wonder this morning what do we have laid up? If we could look back in the Scripture and see the times and the instances in the Word of God when the elders laid up things for the younger and they were a blessing and a benefit to those that came after them. And then we examined our own heart and our own life to see what mountains, what things we have laid up for those coming up after us. And we're real hard on that generation in Judges chapter 2. We're real hard on that generation that came up. And the Bible said there arose a new generation which knew not God, neither the mighty acts that He had done. But it was not that generation's fault that they did not know God. It was the generation before them that failed to lay up, that failed to tell, that failed to show, that failed to live, that failed to trust, that failed to obey. It was their fault their children didn't know. And the reality is we cannot of the church age today. And I understand that there's so much going on in the name of God that's not of God. And people are flocking to things that they have no idea it's not God. And the reason this generation doesn't know is somebody along the line has failed to lay up some things so they could know. Oh yeah. Now I'm not being mean this morning. I'm just going to preach my heart. 
and ask the Lord to help us together. Help me, oh Lord. I need some help this morning, but I'm telling you, it started in my generation and before my generation. They start having children's church and you can take it however you want to. They pull their children out of the service and now we're in a church age today where the folks that are expected to run the church were never in the church to start with. And they've not had anything laid up for them. They've never had anything laid up for them. Oh Lord, help us. I thought about if time lasts. We got some young people around here if time lasts much longer, they're going to get up to the age where they're going to have to make some choices and some decisions in their life. And I wonder this morning if we've laid up enough for them to be able to follow God and to know that mama and daddy, and not just mama and daddy, that's not entirely where my heart is this morning. I'll not take the responsibility off of you. It's my responsibility before anybody else is to lay up for my children. And it's your responsibility as a parent before anybody else to lay up for your children. You can't expect the preacher to lay up if you're not willing to lay up. You can't expect the church to lay up if you don't lay up. But ultimately it is our responsibility. It's mine as a pastor and it's yours as a congregation to lay up for the children in our church. And I wonder this morning what we have laid up for them. You say, oh, my children are just little bitty. They don't understand. They understand way more than you think they do. You say, they don't know what's going on. They know more than you think they know. They take notice more than you think they do. They take in more than you think they do. They absorb more than you think they do. And we ought to be laying up some things for them to be able to have when they need it from us. I wonder this morning if as much effort and thought was put into spiritual things being laid up as it is in in temporal things, in physical things, in financial things, if we invested as much in our children spiritually as we invest in them financially and physically, I wonder what would be laid up for them today. It was taught to us in Sunday school this morning. Look in the Scriptures. We've been saved. We've been brought to the light. It's the deep things of God have been revealed to us. And when God lets it, we sing that song in the red back book. I want to know more about my Jesus. Yes, I do. Can you sing that song honestly and really say from your heart you want to know more about Him? Or do you show your children that you want to know more about Him? And when you do find out more about Him, how do you tell your children what you found out? God help me. I can't uh, just say amen this morning. I'm going to have to say oh me this morning. Oh yeah. I thought about that day when Moses died and Joshua was magnified in the sight of all the people. But Moses had laid up some things for Joshua. And Joshua was going to follow the pattern. See, when they have experienced others laying up for them, they'll want to lay up for others. 
that Moses laid up, he invested in the life of Joshua. He was with Moses everywhere he went, and Moses administered to Joshua, and Joshua administered to Moses. Now it's Joshua's turn, and Joshua without fail leads the people of God by the help of God, and they come to the Jordan. God parts it and lets them cross on dry ground, and God says, before you go, go back in the water and take a stone, every man from a tribe, and set them up in the camp for a memorial of what God did on this day. And you go home and read the scriptures. God does not say if your children ask what mean these stones. But the scriptures say when your children ask what mean these stones. And sometimes in my life, Sometimes I feel like my efforts are in vain. And if you'll be honest, you probably do too. And there might have been a year or two. Let's see, God said, wherever you camp, these stones are supposed to be there. And when your children pass by them in days to come and ask, what mean ye these stones? He said, you tell them, God brought up Jordan and we crossed over on dry ground this day. And I wonder just the way the Lord dealt with my own heart and my own ponderings and my own wonderings. I wonder, Brother Tim, if maybe the stones laid there for three or four months. Maybe they laid there for six or eight. Maybe they laid there for a year or two before a child walked by. But ultimately there came a day that the child walked by and said, what do these stones mean? Maybe for them three or four months or however long it was. Maybe they thought it was a waste of time. Them men that went back in the water and got them stones and put it on their shoulder. God didn't say bring a pebble. He said bring Bring something noticeable and set it in the camp. And maybe they thought it was a waste of time. What would we do all that for? What would we go back and get that for? But oh, there came a day when a child walked by and said, what do these stones mean? And I think it welled up in whatever parent it was that God asked. And they said, well, honey, I about forgot myself. But let me tell you the story about today that God parted the water and we come across on dry ground. I don't think they left anything out. I don't think they said God just parted the water. But I think they said Moses had died and we didn't know what we was going to do. Oh, we love Joshua. But they said we'd never met a man like Moses that talked to God face to face. And we thought it's all over for us. Our man of God had died. But God sent us another named Joshua. And he had the same spirit that Moses had. And just like God was with Moses, he was with Joshua. And Joshua led us across. And it wasn't just in any time, but it's in the harvest time. And the Jordan overflowed its banks. And so it's harder to cross than any other time. But that wasn't too hard for God. He just stopped the water off. And the priest picked up the ark. And when their feet touched the brim of the water, God shut her off. And she stood up on a heap. And all of us crossed over. And the priest waved us over and said, Come on. God's made a way. And I want to tell you, son. I want to tell you, daughter. I want to tell you, grandson or granddaughter. And that if God could do it that day, He can do it for you in the days to come. And I think when one started, they probably all started. I'm just telling you how God's putting it on my heart this morning. I thought about maybe out yonder by the stone pile. That old mama's getting a little beside herself. And maybe one little boy walked by with his daddy and said, Daddy, what's her problem? 
Uh, what's she doing over yonder by them stones? What them stones mean? Anyway, cause her to act like that. And then the dad said to him, and said, let me tell you about today uh, that God let us cross on dry ground. And another walked by and said, what's the matter with them two, mama? And she said, oh, let me tell you the day. And maybe another walked by with grandma. And he said, grandma, what are they doing? Uh, what about them stones? What do they mean anyway? And she said, let me tell you about today. And before long, everybody in the camp is telling little Bill, little Johnny, and little Susie, and little Betty about everything God did, and it's laying up for them. That's right. <coughs> I thought about all them times in my life. Now, I'll have to stand here before you and tell you that I wasn't at Jordan when God cut the waters off and let them cross on dry ground. And I wasn't coming out of Egypt when God parted the Red Sea and let them cross on dry ground. And I wasn't on Mount Carmel when God sent fire from heaven and showed that He was God. I wasn't there when Elijah went up into heaven by a whirlwind. I wasn't there on them other days and other times when God's miraculous power moved through like we read about in the Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you, I've had some times old person Ray preached, I wasn't there, but I was there. I might not have been in Egypt when God brought them out by a high and mighty hand and parted the Red Sea and let them cross on dry ground. But I was there when the money wasn't there to pay the bill and I hadn't told anybody else I really hadn't even thought about praying about it if you want me to confess before you that God sent the money in and he took care of it I was there when I felt like all hope was gone and I didn't know what the church was going to do and I didn't know what I was going to do but I watched God move in and put us where we are now I was there it's as miraculous to me it might not be to you but it is to me I was there that Sunday night when I stepped off the stage with a left foot right here and God said call it gospel way a Baptist church I was there when God said before I was ever the pastor and before we formally organized for God to for me to call brother Jeremy Yoko and brother Joel Hyde and tell them to come and preach three days I was there when God moved in power I was there when brother Yoko preached about unity and God moved in and blessed our hearts I'm telling you there are some things I've laid up and I need to tell it again. Yes, sir. And I've heard some of you. I was riding down the road this morning. It was my night last night to stay with my grandmother and I was by myself. And I was coming back home this morning and I was praying. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I ain't got nothing on my heart. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make me afraid, Lord. I'm trusting you. I just need your help. I need you to tell me if I need to preach. I need you to tell me what to preach. And if I don't need to preach, you just need to tell me it's going to be okay. And I was riding down the road, and this scripture come to me, and the Holy Ghost started fluttering in my heart. And I did remember some of my times, but in my heart, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but the Lord's telling me to tell it. In my heart, I thought about today when Brother Lot stood and told it. He's told it more than once about the doctor saying there's no hope. You've got cancer. It's just not going to work. But God came through 
when nobody else could. I've seen Sister Connie testify about where the house was supposed to be, where the water was supposed to be, and God moved in there. I watched Brother Chick come in after his wife went off the scene and come in with joy. I watched him testify about how it had been a long time since he felt God, but God moved again. I'm telling you, we were experienced enough around this place. There's a heap of stones that blocked the entrance to the door. We just need to go to telling again what God's done for us. Oh, yeah. I got three little girls. And I'm just telling you how it is sometimes. I got three little girls, and y'all have heard me tell a story. And so many times you can probably tell it better than I could. But I remember that day when the insurance come due and there wasn't no money to pay it. And I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't know, as far as I knew, nobody knew about it. I just I trusted it somehow or another. If I need to work over or whatever I do, I'd, I'd try to do it. And I went to the mailbox that day and I opened the door, opened the door and I pulled out that letter and it had the insurance company's name on it. And I said, oh, I've missed the due date and they've canceled the insurance. I don't know what we're going to do. And I opened the letter by myself. I didn't want nobody else to know. I just opened it. And inside was a letter that said, Mr. Buchanan, we want to thank you for your credit card payment on your insurance policy ended in card number. Such that, you know, it'll put the last four digits. And I'm going to tell you how much faith I had. I pulled the wallet out and I started pulling every card out one by one. And I said, well, that ain't the card and that ain't the card and that ain't the card I ain't got no card but it's got them four numbers at the end it must have been a mistake and I called the insurance company I knew them every one by name the first one answered I called her name I said I got this letter in the mail do you know anything about it I'm pretty sure it's a mistake you said preacher that's low faith well it's just me being honest before you and you've had days like it too and she said I said do you know anything about this and she said hang on just a minute I don't somebody else does and the other sister come to the phone I called her name I said I got this letter and it said I made a payment I ain't got this card and I didn't make this payment do you know anything about it do you know who did she said yeah it's a legitimate payment I said well who done it she said God did and hung up the phone and I don't know how long my wife might know I don't know how long God put it in my heart not because I'm super spiritual or not because I am somebody but God put it in my heart, Brother Tim. He said, you take that receipt with them card numbers and that payment. And he said, you get you the strongest magnet you can find and stick it on the front of the refrigerator. And every time you go to the refrigerator, you'll have to see what I did for you. And your children will see what I did for you. It hung there till the ink faded out and the paper started crumbling and we had to throw it away. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the paper may be in the garbage and you might not be able to read the ink, but the stone still in my heart and I can tell about it again what God did for me. Maybe I just need to tell it again this morning. 
Maybe the Lord's just dealing with me this morning. I think He's probably touching some of your hearts too. But He's a touching mind. And if we've got some stuff we ought to have laid up. And if it's laid up, we ought to pull it out. Like that servant did. Right there in Isaac's blood back. Every time they hit a pothole and a hard way in the road. And she probably thought, what am I doing here? Why am I going with him? Why am I on this camel? And she'd open the bag, brother, paste preach, and show another earring or a necklace or a ruby or a diamond and say just hang on there's more where that came from when we get where we're going and every once in a while I find my own self the parent the father thinking Lord why did I ever get on this camera I didn't even get on it he put me on it anyway why am I eating all this dust going down the road? Why am I going through this desert land? Or do we ever going to make it where we are going? And he just reached back down in the bag and said, you remember the time when I did this? You remember the time that I did that? And it thrills my heart. But it ain't enough for me to know. i got some kids I need to tell, both of my own and in this church, that there are some things God's done for me. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to tell you something about the preacher this morning. I come in them doors sometimes and these little kids around here, not just mine, but I'm going to tell you, I feel like they're all mine. And I ought to feel that way. And if I didn't feel that way as a preacher, something would be wrong. But I'm going to tell you more than that, you ought to feel like they're all yours. That's right. And sometimes I come in and I feel like giving up. And I know you do too. And sometimes it ain't none of you that come by. And I appreciate all the times it has been. But sometimes it ain't you that comes by and puts your arm around me and says, Preacher, you did good this morning. Preacher, I needed that this morning. But sometimes I walk in that door and these little bitty kids, some of them can talk just barely, some of them can't talk at all. And they come running where I am and wrap their arms around my leg or reach for me to pick them up. Or little Ella calls preacher, preacher, and wants to show me her dress or her shoes. Hunt me back there hollering and I'm looking and she's looking at me and everybody else around here. I'm telling you, there's some things we got to lay up for. And there's a lot of things are good. Starting them kids a savings account's a good idea. Accumulating things for them's a good idea. I'm not knocking that, but I'm going to tell you that there's an account that you can lay up in that'll pay a greater interest rate than any bank of this side of heaven. I promise you, God's got a greater interest rate than any bank there is on earth. You better lay up some stuff there. Brother Milby said, I remember him saying, my father owns everything. He was in a pulpit of a church where I was pastoring at the time preaching. And we was in the middle of a holler. It's a beautiful building, a beautiful land. He said, I come down the road and looked up in all these mountains. He said, it flipped over my soul. My father owns all this. And he said, I'm just drawing interest on it. And that boy, that touched my heart that day. And then the Lord brought it back to my mind again this morning. I'm a drawing interest on everything the Lord's done for me. And I ought to be laying up some of that. And my children draw interest on it. And your children draw interest on it. And them be helped by it. And them be blessed by it. What memorials do we have? 
It's what the Lord said. Joshua, you get you some stones. You set them in the camp for a memorial. <coughs> he said, you write it in a book and you rehearse it in the ears of the people that when in days to come your children pass by and ask what mean ye by these stones, you tell them. He said, it ought to be so familiar to you that it ought to come like second nature to tell them what I did this day. And I'm going to tell you my problem and it'll probably be your problem too. I ain't rehearsed it enough in my own ears that when the time comes for my children to know it don't come as fresh sometimes as it ought to. God help me this morning to rehearse it again. God remind me again. Tell me again. Thrill me again. Stir me again that I can lay up for them. I wonder this morning if we were Elijah would we have a mantle? And if we had one, would anybody else want it like Elisha did? Would our children, would the children of this church ever look at us and say, I'm not just talking about you men, you ladies too. And the reality is, and I'm not trying to get off hard on you ladies, but the reality is we got way more little girls than we do little boys around here. And they ought to be looking for some ladies They ought to be able to look to mama, but they also ought to be able to look to some of the ladies in the church. But I wonder if any of them or any of the young boys or any of the children look at any of us, look at me. And like Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you have. Do we have anything that catches their eye? I'm not talking about how we dress or what kind of car we drive or the house we live in or how much money we put in the offering plate. I'm saying, do we have any spiritual things laid up that catches their eye that they notice there's something different about us? And when Paul said lay up, he didn't mean to come in and boast and brag in himself or in ourself about all. I'm not doing that this morning. I'm not telling you what the Lord did is because of me or how good I was living or how close I was living. But it's all because of Him. God didn't part the Jordan waters because of how good the children of Israel were. They had murmured and complained and spent 40 years in the wilderness. But He did it because He loved them. And He wanted them to be able to invest in their children spiritually. And God has done some things for us and the people of this building, inside this building and outside this building, not because of how good of Christians we are, how close to Him we live. He just done it because He loves us and wants us to be able to invest and lay up for our children in the days to come. I wonder what kind of mantle you have this morning. That if the time was to come for you to go and that mantle come falling back down to the earth, would there be some young boy or young girl that would run to pick it up and say, I want to serve the God that they served? Have you laid that up this morning? <clears throat> Do you have any memorials? Do you have any mountains? Have you ever seen God do some things? And maybe it's been a day or two, but you're like old Caleb was. They walked into the to the city that day, into the promised land, and Caleb said, This mountain will be mine. It was a long time before they ever got back. But the Bible said when they walked in and Joshua began to divide according to the laws and the commandments of God, Caleb said, Now give me this mountain. 
And the Bible does not say that it was just Caleb's inheritance, but it said that it was his and his children and all his seed after him. So in hundreds of years when Caleb is dead, and them little grandsons and granddaughters and great-grandsons and great-granddaughters come out of the house and look off that mountain across that plain and see all them dwellings down there in the bottom land and turn around and say, Mama, why do we live up here and all them people live down there? Or when that little boy goes out with his daddy to gather wood or or to hunt or to fish and says, Daddy, why are we privileged to live up here and all them people living down there? They have to turn back and say, Well, son, you're... Grandpa or your great-grandpa or your great-great-grandpa walked in with God one day into this land and he purposed in his heart he would have this mountain and God gave it to him and now you're reaping the benefits of what God did for him and I reap the benefits and my daddy reaped the benefits and his daddy reaped the benefits all because one man laid up for his children I want to know this morning I'm done, I believe. As the Lord spoke to your heart this morning about what you're laying up. Do you have anything laid up? Do you have some memorials? Do you have some mountains? Do you have some mantles laid up for your children? When's the last time it was fresh on you and you told it fresh again? And you rehearsed it. That's what... God said to do, rehearse it in their ears. Don't just tell them once and think it's stuck. Tell them again and again and again. And remind them of what I've done to let them know what I've done in days gone by I can do again in the days to come. As we stand all over the house this morning, if God spoke to your heart, I'm done.